Amen. Have a well, how are you this morning? Gary, thank you again for being here with us this weekend and, and sharing. Um, just been a great morning so far, so thank you. Um, we have been over the last, um, this makes the third week in a series, The Art of Neighboring. And there were some churches in Colorado, which we talked about very beginning week one, who went to the mayors and some of the leaders in their community and asked, what is the biggest thing we can do to make an impact and influence our city for good? And they said, well, if you could learn to be good neighbors it would make a huge difference in our community. And so we challenge you through this series to simply go next door, to begin to learn who your neighbors are and begin to build relationships with them because we believe that in those relationships you have the ability to leverage your influence for building the kingdom of God right where you are. And so we gave you what we call the neighborhood map. And we have more copies of this in the foyer. And we're not going to just be done with the series this week and throw these away. We're going to keep talking about these maps over the next year. And so if you do not have one, I want to strongly encourage you to pick one up and begin filling it out. Right now, you have a great opportunity with the holiday season to get to know your neighbors. Take them some food and say, Hi, my name is Gary. I live across the street from you. I know we've lived here for three years. We haven't really gotten a chance to know you. Hi. I know that seems kind of daunting because with our privacy fences and garage door openers, we aren't quite as conducive to getting to know our neighbors as a society as we used to be. And so that's what we're simply asking you to do. Because this is a part of our vision of who we want to be as a church as we move towards 2030. Because we've said we want to exalt Christ, encourage one another, and we want to engage our neighbors. Specifically, we want you to engage your neighbors. The people that live next door to you, and across the street from you, and behind you. And so we gave you this block map, and we said, we want you to do three kind of levels. The very top, just simply write their name. In the middle section, write just an attribute or two, something about them that you can't visibly see, that you can only see as you get to know someone. And then that third level, their heart, their hopes, and their dreams. What's going on in their life? What can you be praying for them? As you take them cookies, ask them, hey, is there any way I could pray for you? And begin praying that God would open doors for you to influence them for the kingdom of God. The other thing we shared with you is a, a website called nextdoor.com. Strongly, and if you don't, like, I will give you permission right now to get on your phone during church. If you want to pull it up real quick and just save it. And when you get home, sign up. Begin to get to know the people in your community. 
It is amazing how many people, almost the entire street behind us, um, Piccadilly, is on this website. And they know each other, and they talk to each other, and they've started doing block parties together. Um, Get to know the people who live around you. And then we began last week talking about two roadblocks. There are two roadblocks that keep us from knowing who the people who live around us are. The first one we talked about last week is time. That we're busy. That we have so much going on. And we looked at the story of Mary and Martha and the things that that kept Martha from sitting at Jesus' feet. And so we said um, it's important to go and do, as the Good Samaritan talks about. But it's also important to come and sit. The Good Samaritan story ends with go and do likewise. Moving right into the next story of Mary and Martha with the invitation to come and sit. So go and do, but come and sit. Because what happens over time is the urgent begins to take priority over the important. All that we have to do, all that's coming at us, the urgent takes priority over the important. When we lived in Cleburne, we had a neighbor. We had a neighbor that lived right next door to us. His driveway was literally right outside of our bedroom window. And he was a car guy. Specifically loud cars. And we lived in a little bit older home, and so when he would get out there with his old cars and rev the engines and it would be loud, our windows in our house would literally just shake. And there were nights where they would stay out working on cars till the early, early hours of the morning, 2, 3 a.m., and he would rev his engine at times and shake the windows, and it would just wake you and scare you. And they had parties, and there was drinking. There were fights where we literally thought we were going to have to call the police on some people. And then finally, one evening, I say evening, it was about three in the morning. (laughs) We were awoken to our windows rattling as he was revving his engine over and over and over, trying to get his car working. And finally, finally, after a couple of years of this, I finally went outside at 3 a.m. And I said, hey, I don't know you real well, but when you are revving your engine, it's rattling our windows in our house, and it's incredibly loud, and we have to get up at 5.30 in the morning. What was interesting was his response. You see, the reason I had never really made it next door because I was afraid of how he would respond. But he said, I am so sorry. I never in a million years thought that this was so loud that it was waking people in your house. I'm so sorry. You see, the thing that kept me from going next door so many times was fear. Fear of how he would respond. Because when you see things from a distance, you imagine what could happen. 
When you see things from a distance that you don't know what's going on, you have the ability to make up some pretty impressive things that could be happening. And your mind begins to tell you, well, if you go next door, here's how they're going to respond. If you go next door, here's what they're going to do. And there is this fear inside of us so many times that keeps us from going next door and going to our neighbors. What if? What if we had the courage to take Jesus' words literally? As he says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we simply ask the question, do you know who your neighbors are? Do you know who the people are who live next door to you? The people who live across the street or behind you? Do you know them? And do you know them on a deeper level than that's the minivan mom with the cranky kids? I figure that's our description in our neighborhood. (laughs) Do you know them more than just what you see? Have you taken the risk of actually going to them? To start building a relationship with them? I think one of the things that maybe plays on our fears more than anything that we don't give enough credit to is the news and media in our country. See, we have this 24-hour rolling cycle of news and things that constantly tell you how bad everything is. I mean, we've stopped watching the news so much in our family, in our house, because it is so discouraging and sometimes just downright scary and that news has the ability to build distrust in our society and it builds fear in our life because we fear what we do not know like the greatest fears that you have generally are from the unknown. We fear what we do not know. We fear the things we do not know. Israel is in a place where they have been ushered out of slavery. And they are looking into the promised land. And God says that we're going to spend some spies into the promised land to take a look at it. To see this land that God has promised to give us. And so these people are fixing to go into the promised land. And they pick out 12 to go. They send them into the promised land. And we're going to start in verse 26 of Numbers 13. They came back to Moses and Aaron in the whole Israelite community at Kadesh, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them in the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land 
to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So this is the report they come back with to Moses. And I want you to understand, they learn nothing new in this exploration of the land. They learn nothing that God has not already told them. They learn who the people are. God has told them these are the nations that are there. They learn that it's a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God has already told them that. Everything that they are learning is what God has already told them. So then, here is the report. And then Caleb stands up and he silences the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. You see, we fear what we do not know. We fear what we do not know. And what they're going to learn later in the story of Israel is these people in this land, Rahab tells them this, these people are afraid of them because they have heard what God has done and how God delivered you out of Egypt and has taken care of you all of this time. But there is this fear inside of them as they see this land, these people they do not know, they are afraid of them and they will not go. For them, fear becomes a barrier to obedience. What they are afraid of keeps them from being obedient to what God has called them to do. His fear ever kept you from obedience. The things that you are afraid of have the ability to build a barrier that keeps you from being obedient 
to what God has called you to. Enter the land, but there's giants in the land. I am giving it to you. They are stronger than us. I will fight for you. The land devours those who live in it. It's fear that becomes a barrier to obedience. And God told them what to do. And their disobedience is going to lead to 40 years of wandering in the desert. Their disobedience is going to lead to 40 years waiting to enter the promised land. And the question is, how could they forget so easily what God had done. The Red Sea is still in the rearview mirror. We're, we're not even a generation outside of the Red Sea. And God has led these people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and into freedom. And yet somehow, on the other side of the sea, they struggle with obedience, trusting that God will take care of them in the ways that he had when they were slaves. And so God leads them through the Red Sea on their way to the promised land. See, it's in the water... It's in the water that God put to death their painful past. It's in the water that they fully trusted in God. It's in the water that God set them free from bondage and slavery. It was in the water that they found new life. How do you forget so easily that you can go through the water trusting God and yet not have the faith to be obedient on the other side? I mean, how do you, how do you forget that? But this is the story of Israel. But this story should sound really familiar to you. Because Israel's story is our story. Israel's journey out of slavery into freedom is our story. In Romans, Paul writes, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that are, you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He tells these people that you were slaves and you were dead in your sin. In coming into Christ, you have been set free from that past. You see, it's in the water that we fully trust God through our obedience. It's in the water that our painful past is put to death. It's in the water that we are set free from the bondage of sin and slavery. See, Paul began this letter, or this chapter in verse 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. And how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That we were slaves who were led through the water into new life. And the good news of the gospel is not that God makes you good. The good news of the gospel is that God makes you new. Your sins are forgiven in that place because you are no longer the same person. Your sins are washed away because you are dying and being raised into a new life. You are set free from the past. You are moving from one kingdom into a new kingdom, an internal kingdom. A kingdom that will go on and on and on. A kingdom that God is building here. And he says, I want you to put your trust and to be obedient to me and not worry about the government and not worry about everything that's going on around you and not worry about the culture of chaos that we live in. I want you to trust and hope in me. And in me, you are going to be made new. That is the good news of the gospel. We, the baptized are not made good. We are made new. You are a new creation. And the old is gone and the new has come. See, that's where. It's in the water that you moved from death to life. It's in the water that your painful past was put to death. It's in the water that you fully trusted God as you entered into his kingdom. It's in the water that you have been set free. And the question, 
question is, can you trust him on the other side of the water to be obedient to him? Can you trust him on the other side of the water to be obedient? See, I'm sure for Israel it was an easy choice. It was to trust that God was going to hold back the waters or die at the hands of the Egyptians. Your only choice was to go forward. But on the other side, the choices were there again. Can you trust God on the other side of the water? As he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Because let's just be honest, that's hard to do sometimes. Because some of our neighbors aren't quite like us. They may not believe the same thing. They may not have been raised the same. Their family might be torn apart. Can you trust God to engage those who live around you? Or will you allow fear become a barrier to obedience? Will you allow fear to be something that keeps you from doing what God has called you to do? Because fear helps us make assumptions. See, we assume that they won't listen. We assume that they won't care. We assume that it won't do any good. Sometimes we just assume they're already good enough. But remember, the gospel is not about making you good. Jesus is asked by a religious leader, what must I do? What good thing? And Jesus responds, no one is good. Paul, when he quotes, quotes from Psalms, and he says, there is no one who is righteous. No one. See, those assumptions come from a place of fear. Those assumptions keep us from engaging the people that God has placed around us. I have a a friend I played baseball with in college. He showed up my sophomore year from Canada. He had never set foot in a church in his life. He was, um, I guess you would say, a little rough around the edges. His name was Jairus. And I began pretty soon after inviting Jairus to go to church with me every Sunday. And every week it was, no, no. And I'd ask him the next week, Jerry, you want to go to church this Sunday? No. And I asked him, 
and I asked him and I asked him and I asked him. And finally, one Saturday, he said, I'll go. I found out later there was a girl that was going too. A few ulterior motives, maybe. But I got there Sunday morning and I knocked at Jairus' door. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not going. I'm, I'm going to sleep. So I just decided every Sunday I was going to start knocking on his door. And every Sunday I woke him up until he just learned not to open the door. <laughs> and we went home for summer break and we came back and I continued, not, not every single week, but most weeks. Sunday morning, Saturday I'd ask, you want to go? Yeah, maybe. Knock, knock, knock. No. Finally, one Sunday, I knocked on the door and he opened it and he said, just a second, I'm almost ready. And Jairus went to church with me that Sunday. And he went the next week, and the next week, and the next week. And one November, we had gone camping in Heber Springs. And Jairus says, hey, will you baptize me? My first thought is no. <laughs> it's 40 degrees outside. <laughs> but we went on in, into that lake. And I got to baptize Jairus. And I tell you that story not so you can say, hey, look at Gary and what he did. Because trust me, there are far more times that I've gotten it wrong. And I've gotten it right. But what I do know is today in Tennessee, there's a dad with two kids who's a part of the body of Christ. Simply because I kept knocking. Here's the deal. You have no idea where your obedience to Christ will lead to for someone else. You have no way of knowing what God is going to do in their life and through their life. You have no way of knowing. All that you can do is simply be obedient to Him now. I'm starting to, to find out that I think the biggest sins in my life are not the things that I do, but maybe the things that I don't do. The things that I don't do out of fear. The things that I don't do because I trust what I see rather than what God has called us to be. 
Fear has the ability to be a barrier to obedience. Fear was a barrier for Israel that led to 40 years of wandering. Maybe with all that we see wrong in our world, a lot could be made right if the people in this room simply began to love the people that lived right next door. Because you never know what God will do through your obedience. Ananias, I want you to go to this man named Saul. We looked at this three weeks ago. I want you to go to this man named Saul. I can't. You know what he's doing? What what would have happened if Ananias had not been obedient to God? One, I can tell you, God would have found someone else. See, it's not that God depends on you for his kingdom to be built, but that he has invited you to be a part of what he is doing in building his kingdom here and now on earth. And so we say, we say as a church, we want to exalt Christ, we want to encourage one another, we want to engage my neighbor. Because we believe that God has called you to minister to the people that he has placed around you. And that simply begins by you taking the step and going next door. Going to those who God has placed around you. Because you never know what God will do through your obedience to him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. Father, thank you for this time today. We thank you for the ways that you are working in our lives, that you are working all around us. And Father, I pray that today, today you will open up our hearts, wherever we are, whatever the next step is for us, Father, for some, maybe it is simply walking through the water, being buried and being raised again into new life. Father, for, fathers, for others, it's the trust and courage to be obedient on the other side of the water, to trust that you can do more in our life through our obedience than, Father, we could ever ask or imagine. Father, we trust you. We love you, and we praise you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If you have never walked through the water, we want to encourage you to do that this morning. To be buried with Christ and raised into a new life. And if we could simply pray for you, we're going to have shepherds and ministry staff around this auditorium that would love to just put an arm around you and pray for you. They'll be around the back of the auditorium, but whatever your need, come while we stand and sing.